Good morning, all. Welcome to Coffee with Jim, interviews with influential healthcare leaders. It is a pure delight to have with us this morning, Dr. Tonya Singh, who is a board-certified cardiovascular disease specialist, partner at St. Louis Heart and Vascular Cardiology, and a leader within the American College of Cardiology. She is currently the chief of medical staff at Gateway Regional Medical Center in St. Louis. She serves on many boards. She's also a mom, a wife, an aunt, a sister, a cousin, and a friend to many. She is passionate about empowering medical students and cardiology fellows nationwide. Today, we'll discuss some of Dr. Singh's professional and personal ideologies from the perspective of a female physician thought leader. Thus, our topic, navigating the informal hierarchy in your practice. Tonya, thank you so much for being here with us this morning. It's my pleasure. Thank you for asking me to be a part of this. And delighted you're showing up directly from the exam room. You're really in the midst of it. Let's get some important things out of the way right off the bat. Here's the first one. Your preference, jogging or rowing? Rowing. Writing or public speaking? Public speaking. Why? Writing is hard. Talking is easier. <laughs> For a vacation, Central America or India? Since I grew up in India, I'd like to go to Central America. And I think you spent a little bit of time there before. Yes, I've been to Costa Rica. And and um, I saw a wonderful photo from Panama. Yes. Excellent. And last one, Madame Curie or Albert Einstein? Madame Curie, 100%. Of course, that last one was a bit of a loaded question, taking from your brilliant TED talk recently about gender stereotypes, which we'll touch on today. Well, so Tonya, you're having a very successful career. You've held and hold many different leadership roles. Tell us more about some of the factors that may have contributed to that. I think uh, the biggest factor that I give credit to is my husband, who is uh, Dr. I.J. Singh. He's a nephrologist. He has been a source of support, advice, and he's really encouraged me to explore and do what I want. Um, I got married very young, right out of medical school. And so I have lived all my adult life with this man. And he has been just amazing to help me kind of find my way and find who I am. I'd also like to give credit to my parents who always encouraged me to do what I want. When I had young children, they came and helped me a lot. And so did my husband's parents. So both sets of uh, both my parents and my in-laws provided both of us with a lot of support through that busy time in our lives and provided a really stable home and foundation for our children. Um, I have two sons. Um, they're now 20 and 23, but when they were very young, having that support was really, really important because I had my children during my training. I had one child during residency, one child during my cardiology fellowship, and my husband was just establishing his career. So it, those were very busy times and having that love and support from them meant the world to us. Um, and then as I've been through my career, I've found people who have been great teachers who have shared their thoughts and, and knowledge and encouragement so that all of those things, I think, have helped um, get to where I am today. Again, those layers of support, critical, especially these days, right, when folks talk about burnout and wellness. You've also in the past mentioned some things about being a team player and egos as an immigrant and somebody who came in from a different country to a new system, I think it was a learning experience to see how things work in different cultures and in different um, locations. You know, when I grew up in India, we were very focused on a hierarchy. We were very respectful of anybody who was even a year elder. You know, you would, you would call people ma'am and sir. And it was a very different kind of culture in the medical profession. And when I came here, things were, the hierarchy still exists but it is not as formal. And I think just learning about that and understanding it was, was important. Um, also um, learning that you have to raise your hand often if you want to do something instead of waiting to be asked was something that I had to work on very 
seriously because that was not what I was used to. I was used to being called on to do something rather than asked to do something, me ask someone to do something. So getting that mindset. Also, you know, people have stereotypes and they may have just assumed I was a young woman with young children and didn't want to do things. And so maybe they didn't ask me to do things. You know, I realized that it wasn't necessarily because they didn't think I was capable. They were practicing benevolent paternalism on my behalf. And I didn't ask them to. I appreciate the good intentions. I'm one somebody who likes to assign everybody a good intention. I always try to think people have good intentions. And I think that saves a lot of heartburn and stress in your life. And then you try to understand like how this good intention may impact you. And then you may have to speak up for yourself and say, my intention is actually to do this. And so thank you for thinking of my life, but I feel ready. That also took time and confidence and thinking. So I think that, you know, I came into many of these career uh, career roles later than some other people who might have been at these places sooner. But I feel like understanding why things happened the way they did, uh, not assigning others blame, but trying to realize whether I didn't speak up for myself. And also then saying, you know, my time will come and kind of looking at the long view and not getting disheartened by, you know, any setbacks, saying life is a long time. If you really are passionate about something or you really care about something, I think plugging away on it is important. And the time will come when, when your idea will be the one that is important and will get attention. Well, I like that, of course, that last bit about taking the long view. If we may dive a little bit deeper into one of your specific leadership roles, your group has 12 equal partners, so to speak. You've touched on formal and informal leadership there and navigating that. Any comments about influence and power there? I think it's really important to recognize that many roles look equal on surface, but the people who are in those roles are not equal. And that may be because they all have different intentions. They have different goals in their lives. It's not a matter of who's better or who's worse, but it is what is their plan for their life. So, you know, in my practice, we have 12 equal partners. And some of my partners are very focused on the business of cardiology, on seeing patients and doing excellent cardiology work. And some people are more focused on making sure that the business of our work is actually functioning. So administration, the financials, the, the logistics, the setup, all of those things. So I think it's a great idea to have multiple people with different interests because then we are a diverse group and we all know diverse groups do better because we have a diversity of interests and we have a diversity of knowledge. But I also think that just because something is equal doesn't mean that everybody has equal amount of influence or power. Power and influence can really impact how a practice works. So I think that's why recognizing the informal hierarchy is important because the people who are the influential, powerful people actually kind of set the culture of the practice. Culture can make you happy or unhappy. Culture is kind of this ephemeral term, which is sometimes hard to describe, but it affects your day-to-day life in a big way. So you can either have a harmonious collegial culture, or you can have a competitive cutthroat culture. The influential people in the practice are sometimes the ones who set the tone for the culture. So I think recognizing that informal hierarchy, recognizing the people who have power and influence is really important because that they often set the culture of the practice. So it's, it's important to recognize, and it took me many years to realize it, but I, and we don't talk about it very often. I haven't seen much written about it, but I think that it's really important to recognize Culture, as we know, we've heard that phrase, culture eats strategy for lunch every day. You've touched on a few things. There's the benevolent paternalism. You've touched on some of the other personality types that can come within those cultures. One of them, the narcissist. And so how do we recognize this? What can we do to maximize effective working relationships with people like this? 
I think narcissists are fascinating people. They are enthusiastic. You want to follow them because they're just sometimes can be so charming. If, as long as you go with them, you know, life is excellent and all is well. But then if you don't agree with something they say, that can be a real challenge. And this is something that I've learned over the years from reading and working with my coaches to recognize different kinds of personalities and recognizing my own personality. Self-reflection is really important. Recognizing how I interact with these and what buttons are being pushed when I interact with these people. And then what really is their motivation? So, you know, for narcissists, often their legacy is very important to them or how other people perceive them. And so if you fight them, that that just makes them defensive. You know, appealing to what works for them is good. And I don't think that's manipulation. Some people say, well, you're manipulating this person. And I think manipulation is if you have negative intent you are trying to get along with someone. And I read some, something recently that says, you're trying to get it right and not be right. And I think there's a big difference in those two things. You know, you want to get it right for the goals that you're trying to achieve, which are hopefully benevolent goals. And you don't have, it does, it's not about you. And sometimes it's very hard to separate oneself from that. So I think recognizing one's own personality and interaction with other personalities is very important. Well, I love that distinction. Leadership is not about you, the leader. You've told me that before. In terms of culture, we've talked about different types of individuals on a team that influences the dynamics. Sometimes there's also this culture of backroom negotiating about future leadership roles. What have you noticed about this? So I think uh, the first time I ever really saw this was in my own practice, where some of the influential leaders would go and lobby people to their ideas so that when we actually met in person, everybody had already been pre-met with and pre-lobbied. And so we were all kind of going along because we all thought of this ourselves. And then as you advance in organizations and you get higher and higher in organizations, and obviously less and less people can be leaders in those organizations. And so often there becomes a group of people who are important, powerful, influential that try to keep that power within themselves. And so it's very hard to break in. That The ACC has done a fabulous job of trying to clarify its policies on increasing diversity and expectations of how this is to be done. For many organizations, this wasn't really something they talked about. And it was often, you know, people would decide like, oh, I'm going to be governor. And then so-and-so is going to be a governor after that. And so-and-so is going to be governor after that, even though it may be an elected position. And they may dissuade other people who want to have that job by, you know, a variety of different reasonings saying, well, you know, we already promised someone or that would be better for the organization or they would try to talk to you about your team player approach and say you know you're a team player you don't need this right now your time will come and so things like that and initially I thought that is okay you know people's time will come and it's okay but then the more you think about it the more you realize it's actually a very exclusionary practice it is against the whole idea of diversity so I think that seeing that happen is bad for an organization and it should be discouraged so what does an individual do when one is faced by that? You mentioned a few things. You said it was okay, but then you were also surprised. Help us out here. Advise any other future leaders no, who might be that, listening. Right. I think the key is to go back to your advisors, not respond right away and say, let me think about this. And I think that's another thing that I've learned is not to respond right away to anything. Putting a gap in there because I say, oh, you know what? That's a really interesting idea or that's an interesting concept. Let me think on it. Let me get back to you. And that gives you a chance to go speak to you know, your spouse, your friends who are, you know, your, what we call the raft of otters that we wrote a paper about, just people that you can expect honest feedback from and then say, you know, is this sound like a fair thing? Is it appropriate? Or is it really backroom dealing? And then, you know, have a response. I think most of us 
when called on something like that, our first response is, yeah, I'm a team player. I'll go along with it because I don't want to rock the boat or be difficult. And as a woman, I think you especially are more culturally, societally expected to go along with things and not rock the boat. Understanding that about yourself and the expectations is important and recognizing that is important. Giving space. Mm. Asking for time to think about it before agreeing to anything is important. You've mentioned from the perspective of a woman, and I know also from the perspective of a physician, also you love teaching and mentoring. So consider early, mid, and or later career individuals and imposter syndrome and how that shows up. What roles does this play here? Well, I think, you know, imposter syndrome is very common. It happens to both men and women and in all phases of their careers. And, you know, certain circumstances may make you feel more of an imposter being in one particular situation than another. So I think that recognizing, first of all, that is what you're feeling, is that you're feeling inadequately prepared to do whatever you're supposed to do. And then reaching out externally, again, to your um, sounding boards to see whether that is your perception or whether there is actually, it's the truth. And then thirdly, like actually sitting down and doing a listing of your capabilities and then seeing that, you know, what you're feeling is really not real. It's just a perception because you are perfectly capable of doing that particular task. And then I think there is some degree of, you know, gender bias there too, because there's lots of data that says men will apply for a job or take a job that they're 60% qualified for, or maybe a lower number, and women will not apply for a job unless they feel like they're 100% qualified. I think also recognizing and knowing that data and then factoring that into your decision-making saying, am I capable of learning this? I don't have to know it already. Am I capable of learning and growing into this position? I think is another um, aspect and thought that you have to think of. When I was asked to be chair of Women in Cardiology Council, I was I felt like I was not ready. I didn't have the knowledge and the information to take on such an important role. But then I asked the people around me and then I did an internal review of my own thoughts and ideas. And then I felt like this is a place that I could actually have some impact. I cared about this a lot. And I had advisors around me who could help me grow into this. So I think that those three things are, are really important when you feel like an imposter. When you reflect back on your whole career and even growing up as a, as a young child, were you getting positive reinforcement consistently from family and or elsewhere and or maybe negative reinforcement? Um, I wouldn't say either. So, you know, I, I grew up in the, my dad was an army officer and I moved every two years as a kid. So I moved in the middle of the school year every two years till I went to medical school. And I think that was a great experience in learning to be self-reliant. You know, I had great support from my family. They were always positive. But then the people that I met at every school were new and they didn't know me and they didn't know anything about me. And so you kind of have to prove yourself over and over again. But I think one of the things that happens when you do that is you do become more confident in your own abilities because your abilities are what are carrying you through that and not just some external help. And I think that is one thing that helps kind of defeat imposter syndrome a little bit saying, I've done this, I did this, I succeeded, I did this, I succeeded. So that kind of builds your box of confidence beyond just other things. And I think so that self-reliance, I think for me, it started very young. I think it's helped me so far. Well, that's a great explanation of, of how that has helped you in your life. And in fact, navigating the hierarchy, because you've had many different leadership roles. How today does one know if one is successful at navigating the hierarchy? What does that look like? Well, it depends on what your intentions are. So, you know, everybody has different goals and intentions in their lives. Some people want to be leaders. Some people want to be clinicians. Some people want to be focused on something else. So I think that you cannot put a single label on success. I think success means different things to different people. To me, navigating the hierarchy means that I am able to work towards a culture of harmony. I'm a big believer in harmony and collegiality. 
if you have a harmonious and collegial relationship, you can achieve anything. You can uh, take out all the negative, bad feelings in your day. It sounds Pollyanna-ish, but I feel like I have seen that in my life and it works well. And I think the hard part is also giving up your own ego to recognize that if everybody does well, you actually do better. Being competitive individuals, you know, growing up, going to school and medical school and residency and fellowship, and you're always competing for spots. When you actually get into a position where you're not necessarily always competing, you're still always competing. It's kind of interesting how that competition is always in your head. Again, self-reflection, realizing whether you're responding to that competitive response in your life or you're just looking and seeing it. How can we make this better for everybody? Because if everybody's happy and everybody's doing well, then we are doing even better. And sometimes it takes a little maturity and time to get there. And some people never get there, you know, and some people don't want to get there. That's not their life. They like being competitive. They don't want to give that up. And that's okay. That's their definition of success. So I think also you can't just put one definition of success on everyone. You've been very candid and vulnerable in the past about it's not always been easy for you. Have you ever been burned out? And what have you learned about yourself regarding burnout and wellness? I would say I was probably more burned out. My kids were very young and I was trying to establish my practice and trying to be, you know, a good mom and a good wife and a good doctor and a good team player and, and a variety of those things. And that was more like time and energy burnout. But then I've also felt burnout in certain roles, but I did not believe in the value, the values that were being represented by my role. Being in a position where you are in charge of things that you don't care about or you don't believe in or you feel are not right. I think that is the worst burnout than physical burnout because that really affects you internally. And so, you know, you feel physically sick being involved in those things because you they're so not aligned with your values. And so I think understanding your own values and understanding who you are as a person, it goes back to saying when you are in a position like that, you have to kind of step away. You just have to say, this is not for me because this is not what I feel good at or I feel well when I do, you know, you have to pay attention to the signs that your body is giving you when you are in positions like this. Because, you know, physical and time burnout can be healed by rest and sleep, but that mental anguish you have when you're involved in things that you don't believe in is very different. You know, I've been involved in a couple of things, but I I recognize that early and I pulled myself out of that very early saying, Mm -hmm. I don't believe in this. I'm sorry. I, I thought it was something different that I was signing up for. And, you know, I just can't. And that's hard too, because here you want a position, you, you raise your hand, you get it. And then you're like, no, I don't want it. And so you don't want to see like the wishy-washy person, but then you have to recognize that this is really sucking your soul out and it's not the right thing for you. I think having the strength to recognize that and step away from that is also important and a great learning experience so that when you you are signing up for something new or you're raising your hand for something new, you keep that in the back of your mind and you assess that before moving forward. Well, I think that's one of the many reasons that you have been a very successful leader and continue to be. I know you're a very values-driven thought leader. When you take a step back, how would you summarize some life and leadership lessons learned that you're noticing now and what makes an ideal leader today? Well, I think there are many kinds of leaders who are very successful. For me, I think humility is important. Um, You know, recognizing that I don't know enough and I have to learn from others and not being um, afraid to speak up about that. I would say that I have to find work that matches my values because otherwise I can't be effective or a leader in that aspect. I have to be able to run my thoughts through a sounding board, whether it's my husband, my sometimes my children who are now grown individuals and have ideas and thoughts, uh, my partners, my friends, you know, depending on the issue, um, you know, kind of using them as a sounding board for my thought processes and seeing if I'm actually sounding reasonable or is it unreasonable? Because I, I know they will tell me the truth on that. 
So having that honesty around you is really important. I know that I've many times in my life, I've said things that I have regretted. I've said things trying to look important. I've said over-promised people things that I wasn't sure I could deliver. And now as I get older, I recognize that and I try not to do that. I try not to let my ego get the better of me when I'm in a room full of egos because you want to compete and you want to, you know, speak out. Um, and then if I blunder, I'm much quicker to apologize now. Or if I feel like I blundered, I'm much more um, likely to reach out to that person and say, I felt I did wrong. I am sorry. Um, sometimes they say, no, you didn't. Sometimes they say, yeah, you did. But, you know, just knowing that and being able to accept that. And then, you know, just feeling that either I win or move forward or I learn. And I try to take that approach and remember that, you know, life is a long time and goals are there to be achieved at different times in your life. If you can't achieve something, it's not necessarily failure. It's still learning. Hopefully, you know, continue to improve myself and reflect on my own issues as I try to move others forward. Well, it's been a delight speaking with you this morning. Thank you so much for giving us all this time and wisdom. Back to you, wishing you success for 2022 since we're at the beginning of this new year. I'm grateful to have you today in this dialogue. Thank you. Well, thank you for asking me. I, it was a real pleasure. That was Dr. Tonya Singh, cardiovascular disease specialist and physician thought leader, offering insights about navigating the informal hierarchy in your practice. This is Coffee with Jim. Join us for future podcasts at jamesmckenna.org, Spotify, and Google Podcasts.